So talking about this morning, title message is called Watch Your Life. Examine your, your life, you know, evaluate your heart, watch your life. The military has something called an HVT. It's a high value target. As a matter of fact, our military will determine individuals who are high value targets that they must take out in order to win the war. There has been such high value targets even in our lifetime. Men such as Saddam Hussein was a high value target in HVT. Also, Osama bin Laden was a high value target. As a matter of fact, every military in the world has something that they will consider a high value target in order to win a war. And I want to let you know that the enemy, the devil himself, actually has high value targets. He has certain Christians that he knows are going to do amazing things for God in their lifetime, and he will uh, put more focus and more attention on them. I have a great friend that I graduated with from college. He's a, he's a year younger than me, but he took over the church a, a few years ago, um, and I remember he was talking about how he had a bunch of people come up to him after he was prayed in as senior pastor, and they said, oh, it must be wonderful to be a pastor. You, you just, the devil must just take his hands right off you. And he laughed and laughed and laughed and said to them, oh, it's the exact opposite. I've never been more attacked since I've become a senior pastor. I've become a high-value target. And you can become a high-value target today, church, if you're praying, fasting, walking in the Spirit, forgiving, forgiving, let not offense rule your life, reign in your heart. Boy, you're a person who fasts and prays and walks in the Spirit and forgives readily. You will become a high-value target. Somebody say amen this morning. Matthew 16, verse 19, Jesus told his disciples this, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And when I was in college and we were studying out this chapter and this verse specifically, really what I was taught is that essentially what Jesus was saying is, is that, hey, you, you guys, you're going to start the church. You're going to start the church. Whatever you decide, thumbs up from me, man. Why? Because you got the spirit inside you. Because, because you're followers of me, because you're obedient to my words. And so whatever you want to do, whatever you decide, however you want to do it, thumbs up for me. And you know what? We still have the keys to the kingdom today, church. Amen? But the enemy knows the power we have. The enemy knows that we've got the keys to the kingdom and it makes him upset. So he's after us today. And he was after Peter in the Bible as well. As a matter of fact, Jesus confirms it in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Peter looks right at Simon Peter. His name is Simon and Peter. So many people in the Bible have two names. So Simon is his name, but we also call him Peter. But Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Woo. Why? Because 
Jesus declared him the rock in which the church would be built. And we obviously know if we've read our Bible that Peter was the leader of the group. He was the, he was the, the vocal one. He, he was the one who would take charge. He was a, really an unspoken leader amongst the inner circle of Jesus' crew with 12 disciples. And the enemy, the devil himself, was specifically after Peter. And we know that, that the God and the devil talked to each other because it's clear in the Bible because the God and the devil were talking about Job. And God even says, have you considered my servant Job? Blameless. Righteous. And so we see here another time in the Bible where the God and the devil are having a talk. And, the, and, and Jesus confirms and says, the devil has asked for you, Peter. He's asked for you. But he can't have you because I've been praying for you. Amen, church? Peter was a high-value target. So are we. The enemy is still at work among us, trying so hard to divide us, to separate us, to let a fence get inside of us. But we must watch our life, church. We must watch our heart. And as a pastor, I can see specifically how the enemy loves to work within the local church. He wants to cause division amongst best friends, he wants to cause divisions amongst connect groups. He wants to cause divisions amongst families and marriages. He wants to cause divisions within ministries. He wants to, he wants to cause offense to get inside of a leader's heart. He wants to cause offense within friendships. He wants to begin to divide us, not, not by even taking us out just with like some sort of swift move and, and a big something or another, but really small little things that get inside of us and between us and to begin to divide us and separate us. But we must pay attention to our heart and how we're doing as a Christian. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, Jesus tells them, don't let anyone mislead you. This is interesting. If you, if you don't know what's happening here, essentially the disciples had asked Jesus, what's it going to be like in the end? What's it going to be like? You know, they, they were just as curious about Jesus, the end of the world and Jesus' return, just as we are today, aren't they? Thousands of years have passed and that curiosity still hasn't left, a, left us. And, and they had simply asked Jesus, what's it going to be like in the end? And I find it so odd or maybe just curious and I studied this out. But in verse 4, Jesus just starts off by saying this. Don't let anyone mislead you. Huh. The very first thing he tells them is essentially pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to your heart in the end times. More important than knowing the date and the time of the return is knowing who we are when Jesus returns. That's way more important than when Jesus returns. It's who we are when Jesus returns. The condition of our heart is more important than knowing what the world will be like when Jesus returns. Rick Warren recently tweeted, just a few weeks ago, he said this, you've heard it said, love the sinner, hate the sin, but I'd rather love everyone and hate my own sin. I don't know how some find so much time to condemn others. Do they never sin? Jesus said, whatever measure you use to judge others will be used to measure 
how you are judged. Let's get our eyes off of everything happening around us. We really have very little control over what's happening around us, but we have control about what's happening inside of us. I know what it's like. Frustration when, you can't, when it doesn't seem to go your way. Frustration when you watch the news. Frustration when you open social media. Just frustration even at, in the workplace and even in your, maybe even your own home amongst your family. Something's happening. Uh-uh, things are out of our control. We can get upset. We can get angry. We, we can get frustrated. And when we can, we can begin to look at all these things happening around us. And all the while our heart is, is beginning to corrode just a little bit. And our heart and our mind are beginning to think wrong as time goes on. But I think we must focus more on what's happening within our heart than what's happening outside of our heart. Hmm. The devil wants to throw weapons of mass distraction to get your eyes off of your heart and get you focused on something else that's happening around us. And I'll say this. With all the love in my heart, but if we're not careful, we'll spend all our time just trying to connect the dots between our world and the scripture and figure out when Jesus is returning. And all the while, our neighbor doesn't even believe in Jesus. So really, what's more important? We can become a keyboard warrior battling on screens rather than praying for one another. What's more important? Amen? Amen? There are so many weapons of mass distraction out there. I believe it's time to be wiser than ever to see that the devil is trying to fool us. The devil is trying to trick us from putting our attention in prayers in the right place. You know, the world is going insane. And in the midst of the craziness, we're going we're gonna to stop for a moment on August 13th. We're going to give backpacks away to hundreds and hundreds of children. Now listen, I know what you're thinking. I, I, I know the world is going crazy, but you can stop for a few hours on one day and give and do something good with your time. You see, but the, the enemy right now would love to throw weapons of mass distraction at you to get you distracted and, and, and focus on all the craziness happening in the world. And you're going to battle it out on that keyboard and you're going to let everybody know. And all the while, we got something planned where we can love on people and pray for families. And are you going to get, are you going to, I mean, what's more important? Where, where are we? If we're not careful, we'll lose sight of what we're put on here on this earth to do. If we're not careful, we'll lose focus and, and we'll get distracted about something big happening over there. And it's not fair what's happening in Washington, D.C. And it's not fair what's happening over there. And all the while, we're just saying, let's just, we're going to love on the people right here, right now. And it's time to get back to what God has called us to do. Amen? There's a story in the Bible of a prophet used by God. I want to read this story. It's such an interesting story. 1 Kings chapter 20, verses 35 through 43. It says, Meanwhile, the Lord instructed one of the group of prophets to say to another man, Hit me. <laughs> Isn't the scripture awesome? But the man refused to hit the prophet. Then the prophet told him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, a lion will kill you as soon as you leave me. And when he had gone, a lion did and attacked and killed him. Then the prophet turned to another man. I bet the other man's like, oh. 
I'd rather be the second man. But the prophet turned to another man and said, hit me. So the, so the guy's like, gladly, right? So he struck that prophet, <laughs> punched him right in the mouth, I guess, you know, and wounded him. The prophet placed a bandage over his eyes to disguise himself and then waited beside the road for the king. As the king passed by, the prophet called out to him, Sir, I was in the thick of battle, and suddenly a man brought me a prisoner. He said, Guard this man. If for any reason he gets away, he will either die or pay a fine of 75 pounds of silver. But while I was busy doing something else, while I was distracted, the prisoner disappeared. Well, it's your own fault, the king replied. You have brought the judgment on yourself. Then the prophet quickly pulled the bandage from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. The prophet said to him, this is what the Lord says, because you have spared the man I said must be destroyed. Now you must die in his place, and your people will die instead of his people. So the king of Israel went home to Samaria angry and sullen. What a story of total distraction. The prophet's pretending that he was distracted to show the king that you are the man that was distracted. The prophet Nathan did the same thing to David when he pretended that a man had had one little sheep stolen from him by a guy who had a lot of sheep. And David said, well, that man must pay the price. Oh, let's let's get him. Let's arrest him. He He must die. And the prophet said, that man is you, King David. You see, if we're not careful, we'll be so quick, so quick to just listen to somebody's story of their life and say, well, you're off with your head. It's all your fault. What's wrong with you? And all the while, we're just as distracted as they are. We're so quick to judge. We're so quick to just point our finger at somebody and say something to them and put a label on them and yell at them. And all the while, we're just as distracted. We're just as sinful. We make just as many mistakes. We're just not brave enough to admit it. And there's weapons of mass distraction out there, and the enemy is trying his hardest to distract us from the vision and the goal that God has given to us. He wants to distract you from your ministry. He wants to distract you from your family. When I decided to get married and when I decided to have three children, I made a decision to say, now my focus and my attention will go towards my wife and my children. But the enemy wants to distract me. The enemy wants to get me off my game. The enemy wants to get me out of the game. But I am focused. I am not distracted. I am in the game. Just last week, I was listening to sports talk radio, and since there's nothing happening and the Tigers completely stink, what are they going to talk about? You know what I'm saying? So they actually started talking about youth sports, middle school and high school sports. And there's a guy on the, uh, on the show, he, he's got three children, and he said, he, said uh, he started talking about how he's got his oldest enlisted into youth sports. And they gave him the schedule of the games, and they're all over the United States of America. And he, and he looked at his, his bank account, and he looked at the hours he gives to his job, and he looked at his other two children, and he has a wife. And he thought to himself, how am I going to not only afford to get this child all over America... 
but how am I going to have the time for all this? And then he thought to himself, he's talking right here, I want my other two children to play sports too. And eventually all three children will be in sports. And they started talking. They said, it used to be that you just put your kid into the local school system and they gave your kid an AYSO soccer jersey and you went five minutes down the road and played in a cheap little field. And then you went seven minutes the other way to a different field and you just played within your local area and you came up the ranks and you just played in Linden and Fenton and Heartland and Highland and you you just play in your same, but apparently it's not like that anymore. Apparently you're, you're going all over the place and you're spending all your money. And he just began to wonder how is he going to do this as just a single man? How? And, I, and the world would love to busy our schedule to the point of maxing out and soon enough you'll forget your given task in battle. What's our job? What's the task God has given us? And I'm not saying putting your kids in sports is wrong. I would love, I want my kids to be in sports. But I am saying this, at what point are we getting to be so busy and so distracted that we'll miss the actual task that God has given us to accomplish here in our life? Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 6 says, Don't stare at me because the sun has darkened my skin. I'm dark. Don't stare at me. My brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyard, so I couldn't care for myself, my own vineyard. You see, the enemy would love to get us so busy that we don't even care for our own vineyard. If you lose your relationship with Jesus, you begin to lose everything else. You cannot be a good parent or a good spouse or a good friend, a good worker, a leader, or whatever else you want to be without first having a wonderful relationship with Jesus. 2 Timothy 4 verses 9 through 10, it says this. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Paul has a partner in the ministry, a man named Demas, and Demas started off just fine. Excited, enthusiastic, energetic, helpful, smart, right advice, by his side, carrying his luggage, whatever Demas does, I'm not quite sure. But at some point, where along the journey with one of the greatest men of God that has ever lived, Demas gets distracted and decides to desert Paul. Maybe he, maybe he realized, I, I, I'm tired of being poor. Maybe he thought, I'm tired of, of having no place to lay my head at night. I'm tired of, of, of risking my life. I'm tired of the shipwrecks and the beatings. I'm tired of the ridicule. I'm tired and I want to just be done with it all. Hmm. He just lost sight of what he was doing with his life. You know, you can have a good attitude even if things are going wrong. Let me say that again. You know, you can have a good attitude even when things 
are going wrong. When I was a young boy, I was my, on my soccer team, and we did a week-long tournament in Kalamazoo, like two games a day. It's like the longest, hardest week of your life as a child. Just exhausted, worn out. You know, by the final game, running around that soccer field in that heat, you could barely move. But right around the second to last day of this tournament, we were doing races on the beach. And during one of the races, I, I, I stubbed my toe on something in the, in the water. I was running as fast as I can in bare feet. I stubbed my toe on something, rock or a piece of concrete on the lake, and I rolled and I went, fell, and I, oh, I demolished my toes, my right foot. And I just remember being in so much pain, but immediately thinking to myself, don't make a scene or else the coaches are going to see that you're hurt and they're not going to let you play. So I, you know, I remember lying on the beach, lying on the beach, and I remember going up to the trees like this, in the sand, and hiding myself. And I remember sitting under a tree with my foot, going, "I've destroyed my foot. What was that in the water?" And I remember looking at my toes, and they were all crooked because they were all broken. And I was like, no, don't tell anybody. That's what I thought. I'm not going to tell anybody. They think I just fell. They think I laughed. I'm like, and I remember getting up and like, what's up, man? You know, pretending everything's okay. I went to the picnic table. I put a sock on my foot to hide my crooked toes. And guess what happened the next day? There was a game. I put my soccer cleats on. Oh, and I remember in oh, I remember in warm-ups having to kick like I could barely do anything. But the coaches called me over at some point during warm-ups, like, Luke, what's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, nothing, coach, just <laughs> nothing. You know, and it, okay, you know. Oh, and I remember I kicked the ball with my toe at some point in the beginning of the game, and that's it. I fell to the ground. I said, I'm out. Uh, uh, it's just like fire shot up my whole leg, you know? And I just crawled to the sideline. And they're like, what's wrong with you? And I finally had to, I broke, the, I, I broke my toes on yesterday on the beach. Why did I tell you that story? I was injured. But I, won't, I wanted to show them I have, I'm still good. I'm still good. I'm st- I want to play. You've got to be able to play injured. You've got to be able to play injured. You've got to be able to say, I'm injured, but I'm in the game. (laughs) Thinks me think of the movie Mighty Python, where he's like fighting that guy and he chops his arm off. And he's like, I've defeated you. And he goes, no, you haven't. It's just a flesh wound. And blood is just pouring out of this stump. He couldn't be convinced he was defeated. The Black Knight. And I want to just want to encourage you that we're all injured. 
We're all broken. We're all, we've all been defeated. We've all have something that we're struggling with. We all are here injured today, but we have made a simple decision to say, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to have a good attitude. I'm going to get in the game because God can use me no matter what. Amen, church? Just refuse to be negative. I did. I just refused to be, I didn't say one word to nobody about my foot falling off. Refuse. Refuse to get angry. Refuse to be mean. Refuse to find something to complain about. Fill yourself with faith, hope, love. Live as if you have a sense of eternal purpose because you do. Amen? Matthew 24, verses 10 through 13 says, And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Offense is not good. It's not good. But the world loves it to be worn as a badge of honor. Offense now seems to have become a reason to lead something. Start a, even start a ministry. Start a organization. Offense. People do all sorts of things because of offense. Change careers. Leave churches do things, seems to be that offense somehow has become some sort of purpose, <laughs> a, a badge, a, a reason to do something, a source of even energy to, to, to get them going. But I want to say right now that that false purpose and false energy and offense that has somehow caused you to make big decisions with your life is not good. Now this is easier said than done, but let's forgive. Joyce Myers is probably one of the best preachers on forgiveness if you ask me, because if you know her story, you know that it's a miracle she forgives her father. And so when she preaches on forgiveness, you listen. And when Joyce Myers says, why don't you just forgive already? You go, okay, I will. It's easier said than done, but I just think it's time to just forgive. John the Baptist was in prison. He sends a letter to his disciples and says, could you just find out is Jesus truly a son of God? Did I accomplish my mission that God had given me? Because we all know that John the Baptist was supposed to plow the road for Jesus. And now John the Baptist is in prison and he's concerned about, well, did I do my job? And if he's not the one, then I know I'm getting out of here because my job's not finished yet. And was Jesus right back to him? Jesus sends word back to him, Matthew 11, verse 4 through 6. He says, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended 
because of me. You see, John the Baptist was, you could tell he was getting not just frustrated in that prison, but wondering, did I do what I was created to do? Did I, did I finish my mission that God had created me for and designed me for? And I'm wondering if he's starting to get a bit offended in there. I don't want my life to end like this. I don't want to spend my life, final moments of life in this prison. I don't want to die like this. What's going on? And there's, he's, he's starting to get offended maybe. And I want to encourage you that the same words that Jesus spoke to John, he's going to speak to me and you today as blessed as he who is not offended because of, because of me. Last weekend... Bill Johnson's wife, Benny, died after a long battle with cancer. He's the lead pastor for Bethel Church in California. He preached three days after her passing. And this is what he said in his sermon Sunday morning. And I quote, God is not a vending machine that I get to put a quarter into and withdraw from him what I want. He chooses what he gives but it, is, but it is the wicked at heart that say, God didn't do what I wanted. He's a liar. May I never be found critiquing God when things don't go my way. May I always be found having a heart ready to be critiqued by him. Is God my friend? He is. But he is my Lord first. And I'll never have the pain I'm feeling right now in eternity. So in this moment, it is a privilege to respond rightly to the Lord of my life with deeper trust and devotion. I will bow before the Lamb on the throne in awe and worship him forever. But never will I have the face-to-face chance to do that while I'm in pain. So in this moment, I choose to do that. When I said yes to Jesus, I gave up my right to fully understand or be in charge of my life. Let's not get offended even at God. Let's not do that, church. Matthew 18, verse 7 says, Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Now listen, I get offended just like you. I get offended when you get offended. I get offended at the things that you get offended at. I get offended when I turn on the news. I get offended when I open my email. I get offended when I get text messages. I get offended when I hop on social media. I get offended when I have conversations even in these very hallways. Offense is like the sunrise. It's coming. So what am I going to do? Let it all pile up and use it as a source of some sort of energy and power to lead me forward? Nope. It's like a balloon. Offense is like a a balloon filled with helium. I can hold on to it or I can just simply let it go. It's really up to me. And it's nobody else's, nobody's making me hold on to those balloons. Nobody's putting their hands around my hands and forcing me to hold the rope. All I got to do is just simply let go, and I'm not offended anymore. I'm preaching about offense today so much just because I believe it's actually destroying our friendships and our families our churches, our workplaces, it's destroying our world. So please, church, don't let offense take root in you. Don't let it all of a sudden become this badge 
on your shirt. Don't let it take root in your heart today. The Bible even says that offense will actually stop a financial blessing in your life. Matthew 5, verse 23 through 26, Therefore I bring you, it says this, Therefore if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. As surely I say to you, you will by, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. It's interesting. Jesus is actually saying here, that if you have such an offense towards somebody and you're going to give an offering today, don't even give that offering today. Because what's going to happen is, is you're going to end up paying bail with that very offering and it won't ever be given into the church to be able to come back to bless you. That if you're not careful, all that offense that you have is going to be spent on on bail, bailing people out of, bailing yourself out of jail, bailing your friends out of jail. Jesus is telling them, you better be careful today. And all that offense could lead you down a road of financial ruin if you're not careful. Offense can actually ruin your life. I'm coming to a close now, but the rich young ruler in the Bible. Boy, I'd like to have that title. (laughs) Anybody else? Oh, you're a rich young ruler. All those three words are just fantastic. But man, what did he, what happened to him when, when, when he began to offer Jesus his time, his money, he wants to follow Jesus, and Jesus tells him to, to, to sell everything and then come follow me. Well, he gets offended. He gets offended. He doesn't follow Jesus. You see, we can, we can let offense even ruin our walk with the Lord. Hmm. Let's all stand to our feet this morning and I want to worship with you just a little bit. Can we do that, church? I love the, I, I don't know what song we're doing, but I like that last song we did. Are we doing the last song? Yeah, all right. I like that last song. You are the Lord. High and lifted up. You are the Lord. And as we worship here just for a little bit, I'm going to come back up and end with the altar call. But we're just going to worship a little bit. And as you sing these words, as you sing this song, let all the weight of the world that's been trying to get on you today, just strip it off and freely lift those hands high. Light, light, free, My yoke is easy. My burden is light, Jesus says. Let all the offense come off. Let let it go today. Worship God because he's good. He's sovereign over all. He's perfectly perfect in all his ways. He loves you today with everything that he is and that he can, he can, he can just, he just focuses all of his love and adoration on you today. We got reasons to worship. Heaven is our home. Amen, church? There's a reason to worship. Let's just worship a little bit. Sing you are the Lord.
things that God does is forgive that's a, really the most important uh, 
It's really the most important thing you can do with your life is to ask forgiveness for your sins. And it's one of the greatest things God does for us. There's a true story of a teenager and youth group, and he was really living a life of wild sin. And he'd gotten so bad, and he had he really himself had gotten so evil in his heart. And he was having a conversation with the youth pastor when he actually told his youth pastor he doesn't think stealing is even wrong. And the youth pastor had a hard time convincing him that it's wrong. And so the kid wasn't looking a few minutes later and the youth pastor stole his phone. Put it in his back pocket, just went, went on with the whole evening and watched the student all night long get angry about his phone being missing, started accusing people of stealing his phone. By the end of the night, the youth pastor pulled him aside and said, I have your phone right here. I stole it. How do you feel about that? Teenager said, I was so angry. I knew somebody stole my phone. And the youth pastor said, it's because it's wrong. It's a sin. And I think many times we try to hide our sins and we try to convince ourselves that what we're doing isn't that bad. But it is. But it is. And it breaks the heart of God. And he longs for his children to ask for forgiveness. He will extend it to anyone who asks. And let's not just write it off and say, oh, it's not so bad. I'm not, what I'm doing is not so bad compared to other people. Or, you know, I, 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 can, I can keep it a secret. No, it's, it's, it's wrong. It's a sin. But God desires to forgive us all our sins. Wash us clean, white as snow, forever gone. Our sin can be if we just ask for forgiveness. Say, isn't that wonderful? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and we pray for you this morning. If you need prayer today, because you say, Pastor Lucas, today I need to ask God to forgive me. I need forgiveness in this moment. Would you just simply lift your hand right now and acknowledge, that's me. Amen. 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 You see, this is just makes the heart of God leap for joy when his children say oh God I'm so sorry would you please forgive me and he is quick to forgive he's slow to anger merciful gracious kind a wonderful forgiver today which we all repeat this prayer after me say dear Jesus thank you for coming to this earth living a perfect life and dying for me. And I believe today that your blood is powerful and valuable and it's what I need. And I pray it washes away all my sins. Make me holy and clean and pure today. I follow you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Let's just begin to lift up our praise to wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ.
forgiver of our sins. Let's sing a little bit more, can we, church? You are the Lord. Come on, don't don't quit on me now. Here you we go. Are the Lord. Let's lift our hands, church. Compassionate and kind, you are the Lord. You thank you, we God. Sing. Holy, holy, holy is your name. It's been a great to be with you guys today. I want to encourage you to sign up for our back to school bash, serve, be a part of that. I promise you, you're going to see amazing things happen at those neighborhoods. It's going to make you forget all about those things that you're so offended at. Trust me, the world is not as bad as they say that it is. People long for love and kindness and mercy and, and, and gentleness and they long for generosity and we're going to pour all that on these communities amen so sign up if you're new go to guest services we got gifts for you if you're a young adult I'll see you at rally night tonight 7 o'clock right here it's going to be awesome you're officially dismissed have a great day church